This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. What were, tough, what were some of the self-analysis that you had to do around that? Or is this just something you stumble upon? Yeah, I mean, I think my journey is a lot less deliberate than it could have been. So if somebody was asking me what my advice would be, it would be a lot more specific. And yeah. if I went back and talked to 19-year-old Evan or 22-year-old Evan when I sold my company, um, I could have gotten places a lot faster. I didn't have the resources. I didn't have the books. YouTube didn't exist. Um, so my path was a lot slower than it needed to be. Evan, thanks so much for making the time to come on. Thanks, Sean. Good to be here, man. Yeah, yeah. I'm, um, I'm a big fan of your YouTube channel, which I'm sure is where most people have heard about you. And I've got a ton of questions that, um, that I have. just want to dig into your story uh, initially, obviously. And um, you've got quite a crazy story. I don't think a lot of people know that you have this background of being an entrepreneur and being an operator, even before you started your whole YouTube journey, I imagine the YouTube channel is just blown up so much that that's how most people have heard about you. But kind of want to go deep, dig deeper into your story from the early childhood. You kind of display beautifully on your website, going through the struggles that you went through, even all the way down to your beginning of, you know, seeing a child psychologist, like talk to us a little about kind of the beginnings of some of the struggles that you went through before you started your entrepreneur journey. Cool. Um, so we're going way back. Uh, I way was back. what, eight, eight years old. I think when I went to see a child psychologist, um, I was struggling in school. I, even before kind of my parents knew something was wrong before we went to see the psychologist, I was hiding under my desk at school. Um, just, not paying attention to the class and like, what is wrong with this kid? And it, it turns out I had a hearing issue. Like I couldn't hear properly that um, I had a lot of wax build up in my ears and I had to have tubes to get it all out. But I wow. basically couldn't hear. I couldn't hear properly. And um, especially at a distance. So when the teacher was talking, I could barely hear it. So I, I kind of tuned out and um, I didn't know I was seeing a child psychologist. My parents just said, Hey, you're going to go see somebody today. Like, okay, cool. And I uh, ended up, you know, playing games with her and looking at ink splotches and stuff. And like, what do you see? Um, that, that was my only memory. Uh, but, but their recommendation was to get me into a different school at the time. Um, mm. And then also just with more medical uh, tests found out that I had, you know, this big hearing problem. Um, I could hear, so it's not, it wasn't like I was deaf, right? So my, because like my parents knew that I could hear, but I just couldn't hear at a distance. And so that made it hard to learn in a structured kind of classroom environment. 
Yeah. And was that something that was fixable once you had that, you know, issue, like the root of the problem figured out? Was that the main issue that was having, was, that was difficult for you to learn? Um, well, the hearing part was kind of fixable. I think the technology is a lot better than, than it used to be. Um, I sound like I'm an old man talking like that, but that was, you know, 30 something years ago now. Um, I had, I had these little tubes that were kind of put in my ear that would just drain the ear so that the wax couldn't be built up. The side effect was I had a lot of ear infections. So I got sick constantly. So I was mm. constantly getting sick as a kid on antibiotics, like crazy, missing school a bunch. Um, but I could hear, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I guess I could go and learn. I, I struggled a lot in school, not a lot, a lot. I mean, I was a B and C student, but, but comparable, my sisters always got straight A's. So I was the, the one who just wasn't uh, doing as well, I guess every year. Yeah. yeah. Um, I always used to have to have the talk with my parents, uh, report card time of, Hey, you kind of expected to get A's. Um, but it was never a negative one. Um, my parents were on the wall behind me, and that's when I'm eight or nine years old. I guess the audio wow. listeners can't see, but I got these giant posters on my wall or pictures, and one of them was my parents and uh, me when I'm eight or nine years old. About the time, I guess, when I went to go see the child psychologist, funny enough. And whenever I didn't know how to do something and whenever I was struggling or whenever I, I you know, didn't get the result I wanted – they would always tell me that I'm Evan Castrilli Carmichael. I could do anything I believe that I can. And mm. so it was never like, why are you so dumb? Or why are you not getting grades like your sisters? Or um, you're supposed to be better. Or you're embarrassing me. I don't know, whatever other people's parents tell them. For me, it was always that, hey, you, you, you can do what you believe that you can do. And um, that always left me encouraged to want to go off and try to do more. Yeah, so that like that spark and then rootedness of like having a growth mindset, knowing that you can always improve. That's, that's just always been embedded into you ever since you were a little, little child with your parents. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't know that they read Carol Dweck's book uh, or knew <laughs> what kind of growth mindset was. I think if I look at my mom, for example, um, she came from Italy to Canada and there were a lot of expectations put on her by her parents. And also just at that time, what a woman was supposed to do in old school Italy was very different than what she could do in Canada. And she chose to kind of break the mold out of that. And as a result, got into a couple of fights with her parents um, and just expectations. And so I think because they were so heavy handed with her, she wanted to go the opposite way and say, hey, I'm not going to tell our kids what to do and want them to explore and have fun and create their own lives. And as a result, yeah. all, I have two sisters as I'm in the middle and all three of us has done very different, crazy, wild things. I'm probably the, the tamest of the three. Um, so you, it was what always do sisters do. Um, well, my my older sister is in the sciences and um, moved to the U S and has started a whole bunch of different companies. My younger sister, uh, decided she wanted to go help in Africa and just left and went there, um, with no job and no, uh, career options, just started volunteering. And then that eventually turned into a United Nations gig and spent a decade in Africa, just, uh, helping different war touring countries. Um, so just, I'm, I'm the safe guy. I just stayed home, you know, doing my thing, making YouTube videos, building businesses. Um, but I, I think a credit is my, to my parents of always supporting us, encouraging us, 
um, taking us places and supporting our dreams. Um, even though we may not have called them dreams, you know, just like, Hey, you got an idea. Let's go and give it a shot. Yeah. Yeah. Oftentimes that's one of the most like beautiful things you can have is that sense of security, not just that you can go back to their house and, and live there and let the financial security, but just the emotional security, knowing that they're not going to be disappointed no matter what adventures you go on and what other risks that you decided to take. And oftentimes that's kind of what led you to this next path in your journey, right? I mean, I, I think, uh, I believe at 19 years old, you went to start your own company, which obviously not uh, a common thing that most people end up doing. Well, what's the kind of the background story there? So in my high school yearbook, when you say where you're going to be in 10 years, I said VP at a bank because I thought, I thought I like, I like making money. I thought that's where you made money. Uh, you go, go be a banker. Um, uh, entrepreneurship wasn't a thing really. I'm, I'm 41 now. So we're going back, you know, 20 something years. People weren't entrepreneurs. You had to kind of be crazy to be an entrepreneur. Like you couldn't get a job. You were yeah. kicked out. You couldn't function in a, in a typical environment. So I didn't know I was doing baseball cards and doing my own little businesses, but I didn't have any role models or heroes or mentors who were starting businesses. So it was a lot more challenging. Um, so I thought I wanted to be a banker. And then I went to university and connect with two people who had started a biotech software company. And they invited me to join and be an owner and take 30% of the company and make 300 bucks a month. And that was the hardest decision of my life was deciding between becoming an investment banker because I had opportunities. Um, the biggest one was with Merrill Lynch, where that was the company everybody wanted to go work for. Um, they were putting on um, a recruitment um, festival, I guess, where they, they hand selected me and a couple of people from University of Toronto, where I was at, and they flew us to uh, the Waldorf Astoria, legendary New York hotel, first class all the way, all of this like fancy stuff, like this is the life I could be living yeah, or 300 bucks a month and own this piece of this little company. Um, and for whatever reason, I just thought I'm going to regret not trying. And, and I, I told myself, I could always go back and get another job in a year if I wanted to. Mm -hmm. It may not be the same job. It may not be, it may not be Merrill Lynch. It may not be the same opportunity, same pay, but I can, I could fairly confidently get another job. This business thing, I didn't know if, I, if I'd ever get another shot at it. And I wish I could say, I knew Sean that it was going to work out. And of course, and you know, for sure, it's going to be hundred percent the thing to do, but I, I really had no idea. And it was really just, I didn't want to live with regret. I told myself that when I'm an old man at 40 and I'm 41 now, so I said, <laughs> when I'm an old man at 40 and life is over and you're falling apart, because uh, when you're 19, 40 seems really far away. Oh yeah. 30 seems old, right? Yeah. Uh, I said, I'm going to regret this. So, so I, I need to at least do it and give it my shot. And um, I ended up never going back to get another job again, but um, it wasn't, it wasn't all roses. It was a lot of, a lot of difficulties and troubles, but um, I wasn't the guy who said, I know I'm going to make it. I know I'm going to be a huge success. I know I'm going to be an entrepreneur. It was really that I wanted to give it a shot and I didn't want to live with regret if I didn't at least try. What was it about the, this opportunity, the biotech software company that particularly kind of piqued your interest, given that you had probably a six figure job waiting for you 
I mean, it's not an easy decision. Yes, you could say, okay, I'm going to, I can always go back, and you could always, um, you know, have this other opportunity to get another job. But you could also say, you could also have another opportunity to start your own business as well. You know, what was it about this particular opportunity that sparked your attention? So. I never in my own mind had start my own business as, as even an option. Again, you kind of had to be crazy to be an entrepreneur 20 something years ago. So it was never in my head. Okay. Well, if this one doesn't work out, I'm going to go do my own company. I never thought of having my own company. Um, but I had a lot of entrepreneurial tendencies in selling baseball cards and doing trade shows and garage sales and all of that stuff. I really, really, really liked, um, the added part to the biotech software company was I didn't know tech. I, I'm not the most tech savvy person. I can get by, but I'm not, I'm not a programmer. And yeah. science was my worst subject in school. I dropped it as soon as I could. And so now I have to help run this biotech software company with skills that you know I don't really have. And I had a lot of insecurities around that of, well, I'm 19. I have to sell the people who are two or three times my age with PhDs wow. in these science um, fields. And, and I just don't, I'm not gonna be able to keep up because I hate science, but again, it was just, it felt like a totally different opportunity that if I, if I didn't say yes, I would regret it. So I just love business and I love entrepreneurship. And I, I don't know if I even knew the word entrepreneurship at the time, but I just love the idea of doing something that was my own. And I wanted to give it a shot. Even if the most likely outcome was that it would not work, I had to know. You know, I'd rather know and fail than not know. Yeah, yeah. And so talk to me about kind of that early journey of transitioning, never having even had a real job, I guess. You just kind of went right into entrepreneurship. Because I think when the, for, for most people that have had uh, a regular job, there, there's this pivoting moment that they have, which is like you get so tied down to this mentality of trading your time for a certain amount of income and associating that time that you have with, uh, with the direct correlation of how much money you're going to make with entrepreneurship that really kind of goes out the door, right? Um, it sounds like you haven't had that job uh, mentality because you were so young, but you know, what were some of the early struggles uh, just going into a business at the age of 19 in, a, in an industry that you had no experience in? like, Yeah. And listen, I had a couple of summer jobs uh, before that, but never a full-time, full-time job. I had a sense of the corporate world and that one of my summer jobs was doing a bunch of data entry and they wouldn't let me eat at the office. Um, and I, I get headaches from uh, fluorescent lights. So I would always have carrots or something on me that I could eat. So I wouldn't get headaches. They wouldn't let (laughs) you listen to music. And it was the most boring, like you're just doing data entry. And I was on a team of six people and I was about to get fired. uh, But I ended up doing more output than the other five people on my team combined because I was working uh, while they were chatting. And when they went to lunch, I I just brought a lunch and I ate at my desk and I, I found little hacks. Like I would, I would bring a, a disc man, which is like a, I don't even know what a disc man is now, basically a MP3 player, but you could play CDs and I would put it on the floor and then wear jeans and run the, I got an extra long headset and ran the wire through my jeans. I'd wear turtlenecks every day. So it'd go up to here. So I'd wear 
I put the wire through my turtleneck and just have a little bit pop out so I could put on one side of my ear so I can at least listen to some kind of music um, that people would notice. But I got a sense of, man, this corporate world kind of sucks if you're doing a boring job. But I didn't think of that with with Merrill Lynch investment banking, maybe because I didn't actually get into it. I didn't get the exposure, but I was, I was genuinely excited to go off and do it. This is what I was training for. It's my dream job. It was a job that all my friends wanted. All of my friends wanted to be investment bankers. Nobody wanted to start a business. Yeah. Um, so for me to kind of turn that down to go do my own thing felt weird for everybody. Um, and I made it more difficult on myself by not telling people how hard it was. So I was making no money, dude. I'm making 300 bucks a month, right? It's great. I own 30% of a company, but if the company doesn't make anything, you own, what do you own 30% of? Yeah. It's, it's not really that valuable. And I was too embarrassed and ashamed to tell my friends that I was making no money. So when they, when they said, Hey, let's go out, let's go have uh, let's go bowling or let's go to the movies or let's go, go to the party or whatever. Um, I had to pick one thing per month because 25 bucks was my max entertainment budget for the month. Mm. And they're all doing investment banking jobs and making tons of cash. And I'm here making, you know, zero. Um, so I, I really made it more difficult on myself than, than it had to be. Cause I was just embarrassed. I'm sure if I said, Hey guys, I'm not making money yet. Like, can somebody spot me? Or do we have to go out to that fancy place <laughs> instead of just ordering pizza at home or something? Um, I'm sure my friends would have helped a lot more. But I was, yeah. I guess I had too much ego or pride or embarrassment to um, be willing to do that. So I, I really struggled by myself, um, which is why I want to try to help entrepreneurs now, right? I mean, I think, yep. I think your purpose comes from your pain. I think whatever you struggled the most with is what you want to help other people with. And so mm -hmm. because I struggled so much as an entrepreneur in the early days, that's, that's who I still make all of my content for because- there's lots of 19-year-old Evans out there right now struggling with their business. Yeah. If only there was, uh, you know, the, the Believe Nation and the content that you were creating back in the day where you can know that it's part of the struggle and this is, this is all supposed to be happening, right? The, the pain and the struggles and the sweat that you have to put into to start a business. It's, it's just part of the process. But yeah, I imagine you had no idea and, and you obviously as human beings, we want to fit into a tribe. We want to be able to be part of a group. And um, yeah, that divide is, is I imagine the most difficult part when your friends start to make more, more money than you in terms of uh, fitting into that circle. Right. So did you have to like switch your friend groups or did you have to like switch the way you were interacting with friends just to be able to stay focused and, uh, and to be able to persevere? I just basically had no friends. <laughs> that was it. Dude. I just had no friends. Um, yeah, I, I had no friends. I had no girlfriend. I just, it was me and my business partners and I would wake up, you know, based as the sun's getting up and I would, I would go to my business partner's apartment and work from his dining room table. Cause his office was too small for me to be there. Mm. And I would leave after it got dark and, and that would be pretty much every day. So um, I just buried myself in the work and eventually it, it, it worked out, but it was a really painful, especially first year trying to, trying to figure all that stuff out. I think one thing that's helped me is I'll, I'm willing to work. Like I'm willing mm -hmm. to work. I'll show up if I'm going to lose at something, it's not because of a lack of effort. So that's probably the only thing that saved me 
in my journey, even looking at the YouTube channel, in year four of my YouTube channel, I still had 700 subscribers, something yeah. like that. Year four, yeah. like most people, you're, you're quitting way sooner than that. You know, if you're doing something yeah. for four years and you have 700 followers or subscribers or whatever metric, you're probably quitting. So um, that's the only thing that saved me. It's not being smart or being ahead of the curve or being a genius or super talented. It's just, I was willing to get up and do one more day and one more day and one more day and eventually figured it out. Yeah. This is the thing that really, really drives me crazy, which is this kind of the, uh, I'm not that old yet. I'm 29, but I'm still kind of in that mindset of like old school, hard work, maybe because of my just Korean background, but there's certainly this like new generation of people talking about this idea of, you know, softening the, the hard work and lessening the priority of hard work in order to succeed. And people always talk about, you know, smart work being working smart, being like the, 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 the top thing that you need to focus on. I mean, what's, what's kind of your perspective around the conversations that are happening these days where people are trying to lessen the importance of hard work and focus more on just working smart in order to have success? Yeah, I mean, I know a lot of young people who are, who are willing to work hard too. I wouldn't put it as a generational thing. I think it's just, there's so many more opportunities now that are available. And so if I look at my parents, they didn't really have a ton of options. Like my mom was so trailblazing and do all the things that she did. It was, it was crazy. And the opportunities available, like you being in Colombia being from Canada and being able to do this show and run your business and be there is fantastic, right? Like I'm yeah. jealous. I wish, I guess I probably could have done that at 30 or 29, <laughs> but I couldn't have done it when I was 19. And, and that's a real possibility for people. Um, I think the biggest problem, and I don't think it's a generational thing. I, I think there's lots of people who are 40, 50, 60, who are really lazy, who've already given up and don't work really hard. Um, hard work is the ticket in, but it's not enough. Right. Like you can work really hard. My grandparents work really hard, but it doesn't mean that they got really far ahead. Um, yeah. the, the janitor could work really hard, but it doesn't mean that he's moving far ahead. So it's in that combination of working hard plus working smart. But I think there's a lot more role models, a lot more heroes. The idea of being able to be a YouTuber and that's a thing. And mm. you can you could build a business and live wherever you want um, is so fantastic. But you have to still have to enjoy the work. Like, I think that that's what it comes down to is like the work that you do has to be something that doesn't feel like work. If you're just working smart to avoid work, then you're going to lose. Like the, the working smart allows you to work harder too. You know, it's like you yeah. can work hard, you can get more stuff done because you have both those things going at the same time. So the trick is actually finding the work that you love. And that's the number one rule for success of all the people that I profile. Like they like the actual process of doing the work, not just mm. the outcome that they're chasing down. And I think that's been true that maxim, whether it's this year or 10 years ago or 10 years in the future. Yeah. I think, I think that principle will continue to 
to to apply. I mean, there are people. I mean, I think the the idea of leverage that we get is certainly like that argument of that you have we have more leverage today through software, code, the internet, of course. All of these things are true. Automation, where we don't have to do. We have tools now where we can work. Uh, less in terms of the day-to-day grind, and focus more on you know which this is like the knowledge economy, right? So we can focus more on the decision making and creative process, where you know we don't have to necessarily do all of the shoveling. Um, but I think, as you mentioned, the 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 importance of balancing the two of hard work and also working smart is just that's just the necessary component of having the ultimate success that you want to reach. It's okay. If you don't want that ultimate success, not everyone wants needs to make insane amounts of money or have insane, like insane amounts of, of of impact. If that's not what you don't want to do, but if you do um, I think it's easy to be fooled by, you know, the Lamborghini uh, on Instagram of people not really sharing the behind uh, behind the scenes work that they actually have to do. Uh, to to really get to to reach your highest potential, uh, you definitely need that combination of both. For sure, and and I think it's not just in entrepreneur life, but just in life. Whatever you want, you have to work at it. But hopefully, it doesn't feel like work. So yeah, you know, we're recording this on U.S. Thanksgiving. Um, I I didn't know what your nationality was, whether you were American or not. Um, yeah. But I'm like, oh, Sean's showing up on Thanksgiving. This is great. Let's go. I'm ready. I'm ready to go. Uh, yeah, either way, I, w- I would have shown up here with to, to have a conversation with you, Evan, for sure. So, so when I look at my calendar and I see Sean, I mean, I see your name in the calendar. I'm excited. You're like, hey, this is going to be fun. I don't mm-hmm. look at it as this is work. The second talking to somebody becomes work, and I don't enjoy it, then I'm I'm going to stop doing that thing. Mm-hmm. So when people ask me, how many hours do I work a day? Like, I don't know. What's work? Is this work? This isn't, this doesn't feel like work for me, but for somebody else, it could be the biggest work of all time. Like put me yeah. in a job as an accountant. I will hate my life. I just don't want to be sitting there looking at financial statements all day long. Mm-hmm. Right? So the trick is figuring out what does an intentional life look like for you? And then how do you actually make some progress towards living it? And how did you end up finding that for your for yourself? And we, we're going to certainly go deeper into the you know your journey on YouTube and the amounts of impact you're having now. But it's it seems like a lot of people struggle with that, right? Or some people fantasize about the idea of being someone, or the idea of you know the fantasy of being a certain type of person. But a lot of people, when they actually get into the role, they realize they don't really love it. They don't really enjoy it. And for some people, that might be being an investment banker or some people that might be, um, you know, being an actor or an actress and realizing that the day-to-day isn't something that they love. And for a lot of people, it might be, it might be um, you know, they, feel, they might feel stuck in the end, but they just enjoy the idea of it. So how, what was your personal journey of like, finding and also realizing that this is just the work that you were meant to do and the work that you love on a day-to-day basis. And, and what were tough, what were some of this self-analysis that you had to do around that? Or is this just something you stumble upon? 
Yeah. I mean, I think my journey is a lot less deliberate than it could have been. So if somebody was asking me what my advice would be, it'd be a lot more specific. And yeah. if I went back and talked to 19 year old Evan or 22 year old Evan, when I sold my company, um, I could have gotten places a lot faster. I didn't have the resources. I didn't have the books. YouTube didn't exist. Um, so my path was a lot slower than it needed to be. So uh, if you if you were to ask me what my advice would be, I would say, well, your purpose comes from your pain. That you know, again, you struggled with something, whatever that was. You want to help other people through there because they struggled, they are struggling right now. There's millions of people right now who are 19 year old Evan, and they need they need help. They need that guidance. They need that support. They need that belief, which is why I do what I do. Um, I didn't know that though. You know, I didn't, I didn't know that when I was 19 or when I was 22 and I sold the business when I was 19, it was really just, I didn't want to live with regret, you know? So I, I had to go off and try this thing. And when I was 22, I sold the company and it's a big woohoo moment. Hey, sold the company, got some money. Awesome. Uh, but then I also didn't know what to do the next day because I had no friends. My whole life was in this business. It was wake up, go to the business, go home. And I didn't know what to do with my life anymore. And that would have been a good conversation. Maybe, maybe if I knew Sean Kim, although I guess by then you would have been. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Little, 20, you would have been 12, that would, but yeah. still maybe pretty insightful, you know, yeah. or, or 11 or something. Um, so, you know, hindsight, I guess, is 2020. So it took me a lot longer than it needed to. Uh, I just followed my intuition of what I felt like doing. So one thing that I guess I'm good at to your, in, your, in your setup for that question, you asked um, people daydream or people have these ambitions or hopes or dreams of X. Uh, I just do it. Whatever the thing is that I want to do, I just start doing it. And I don't judge myself if it's working or not, it's really just a feeling thing. I, I want to feel good about what I'm doing. And it's less about the person that I want to be. Um, people ask me like, well, what do you want to have on your tombstone? I don't care. Like I'm dead. I don't, I don't care what's on my, I don't need a parade and I don't need a statue and I don't need to be somebody's hero. Um, but I want to feel like the work that I'm doing is meaningful and is contributing to somebody somewhere. And I think we all want that. It doesn't have to be on a giant scale, but even if you felt like, Hey, what you're going to do today is going to have an impact on one person in a meaningful way that makes you feel good for all of us. So as humans, we're all built to serve. Um, so I just followed what felt right. And maybe that's my parents' voice in my ear saying, you can do anything you believe that you can. Um, but I got an idea and I would just go off and do it. And, and maybe it worked, maybe it didn't work. I just pay attention to how did I, how did I feel doing it? Cause if I felt good, I'll go back and you can get better at any skill. Um, mm. it's like, how do you know if you like sushi or not? Well, you got to go and try it. You know, the first time I heard of sushi, it sounds gross. It's, you know, raw fish with seaweed and rice and spicy mustard. It sounds nasty, <laughs> yeah. right? Like if you're just thinking through it, but then you eat yeah. like, Oh, this is actually pretty good. You just, just try a bite and see how it feels instead of overanalyzing and overjudging and overthinking, which, which is where a lot of people are stuck. It's like, I, I, I wish I could start a podcast like Sean, but I don't have the microphone and who would my guest be? And what would I call the show? And the domain name's unavailable. And I don't know anything about interviewing people. And I live in whatever country just start. Yeah. 
and you figure it out along the way. So I think having mentors and guides and resources and, and, you know, being able to subscribe to a show like this might give people a lot of hope and inspiration. Um, I didn't have that. So luckily I just had enough of, I'm just going to give it a shot and see what happens. Mm. Yeah, I know that's, that's, that is really powerful. I I've always thought like the, the concept of like what you don't, you don't know what you don't know. You don't know is always a blind spot that people just can't even fathom because you know, it's, you can't really necessarily plan ahead for something that you just don't even know you don't know. And this is kind of going back to even like, um, you know, I, some people have like a 10 year or 15 year vision and it's, 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 it's cool. But I feel like when you're thinking that far ahead, you're trying to make goals based on the knowledge and the experience and who you are today. Whereas in five years from now, you might be a completely different person, right? So your level of thinking might be bigger because you have more confidence or you have more accomplishments or you have more, a bigger network. And, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's one of those things just to validate what you're saying is like, sometimes you just have to get started and gather knowledge and information. Um, because overanalyzing based on where you are today, it doesn't really make sense because you just don't have all that knowledge yet to know what is actually required. Um, which can be helpful for some people, right? Like that naivety of starting a business can sometimes be helpful. Um, you talked about the shortcuts of how it wouldn't have taken you this long if you were to have the knowledge that you have today. So if you were to advise the Evan in your early 20s and to give you kind of this broken down blueprint to avoid all of the, you know, the kind of major mistakes. What, what are some of the advices that you would have given yourself? Yeah. The first would be environment for sure. So the channels that you subscribe to, I mean, 19 or 11, YouTube didn't exist. Podcasts didn't exist, but like yeah. the people out there, right. That's what you need to be around the environment. So if you love Sean Kim, subscribe, follow, pay attention to every other episode he's done. Right my YouTube channel, uh, other channels, books, podcasts, in, uh, Instagram accounts, like be around the people who are thinking the way that you want to think, because you probably don't have enough of that in your life right now. Like your parents mm. might love you, but they, they don't understand. You're going to go home and start talking about podcasts and NFTs and all this. Like, what are you talking about? Can you just go get a <laughs> safe job? Right. It's like, they don't understand. So you're in the wrong environment. And it doesn't mean that you leave home and tell your parents that they're terrible, but uh, changing the environment so that you have that supplemental push, right? It's why I do my content. I'm making my content for 19 year old Evan because I, even now at 41, still want to be around Elon Musk and Oprah Winfrey and Steve Jobs and people who push me to want to go off and do more. So I think we have these moments of boldness, of greatness, of like, I can do this thing. And then you wake up the next day and it's like, oh, I can't do that thing. Well, that was crazy. I, that, that was stupid. What was I thinking? Right. So the, it's the lack of consistency in the boldness. So you have to engineer that on a daily basis through the environment that you create for yourself. And so audit every channel you subscribe to on YouTube, every Instagram account that you follow, every podcast you listen to. When you're around it, how much does it make you feel better about yourself, inspired, more courageous, bold, or does it make you feel worse? 
And if, if you're looking at somebody's Instagram and you just, you're FOMOing out and you, you hate your life, unfollow that person. Like there's lots of other people that you could follow, like mm. audit the, your circle. Um, and so changing the environment, definitely number one. Two, I'd say is uh, just expect to suck at the beginning. We expect to be good at the start. I don't know why we expect to be good at the start. Like as kids, you get up and you go skiing, you get on a skateboard or ride a bike and you don't just take off. You fall down. It's the first thing you do. So when you start something, just expect to suck. Reduce the burden of expectation on yourself that you're going to be great. Your first podcast should suck. Your first YouTube video should suck, right? It doesn't mean that you suck as a human. It just means you don't have the skills yet. So I bet already in, in your history of making the show, like this episode is way better than episode number one. Oh my God. Yeah. Figure Let's everything not talk out. about episode one, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and, and like, how long did you think about before episode one? How long did you think about having a podcast? Oh yeah. Too long. Too long. And, and like, maybe that's weeks, maybe that's months, maybe that's years, but that that's the curve that I want to shrink down. It's like, Hey, if you, if anybody listening to this is inspired and wants to start their own podcast, great. Pull out your phone. And, and record your first episode. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's not going to be perfect. Well, what do I say? Just speak what's on your heart. I've been wanting to start a podcast for three months and I've been too afraid. I don't know what to do. And I, I, I hope that it's something good turns out and I'm tired of sitting on the sidelines. So let's go post. There's episode number one done. Right. Like, and the momentum starts to actually build because once you start taking the first step, the second step isn't as scary. And then things start to line up for you. And then you figure out the gear and the camera and the how to post to iTunes and all the stuff that everybody else seems to know how to do and you feel like is a foreign language. But the key is just to start. Beautiful, beautiful. And what was the third one? It sounds like you had a third one waiting for us. Um, The third one that I would really, 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 really encourage is just keep going like one more day, one more day, one more day. It, it's what saved me later on. Right. It's like, that's what saved me in my YouTube journey. When I'm looking at my, my career and I have 700 subscribers on year four, like, why do I, what, what am I doing? You just keep going. And, and I, I quit on my business partner um, inside of the first year because it wasn't working and I, mm. I just had to keep going. You know, it's like the next day I woke up and said, you know what? Just keep going. Just, just one more day. Just one. If it's your dream, right? Like if you don't love it, then leave. I mean, people stay in businesses. They stay in relationships for way too long. So don't do that. Uh, but if you love it and it's your dream and you're going to think, you know, in five years, 10 years, 20 years, 90 years, hundred, you're going to be this, you're going to be an old person in the rocking chair, looking back like on this moment and that you wish that you tried a little bit harder, that you didn't give it your all because you were just afraid or frustrated. Like that yeah. can't be a good enough reason. Keep going. Yeah. That fine line is always hard to find, right? Is, is that Seth Godin has, has that book. I think it's called uh, the dip where he talks about whether when or when, not to quit on a specific project that you're working on because it is so hard. And, you know, we have this human psychology fallacy, which is like the sunk cost fallacy of holding on to something the longer we've invested time into it or the more we've invested money into it. And your YouTube journey is a perfect example, right? Four years into that journey, 700 subscribers, uh, most people would have quit. Let's be honest, right? 
how as someone that started a project, maybe they have a podcast that's not taken off or they have a business that's not taken off after multiple years. When is that right time to know to persevere? And when do you know when to, when to quit just from your personal experience? I don't know if you have yeah, yeah. You know, experienced quitting something and not regretted it. The problem is you're trying to answer a heart question with your head. So when do you quit when you don't love it anymore? You still love it. You have to find a way to keep going. That's as basic as it gets. Like if you quit on it, because all of the logical, practical reasons are telling you stop, like Sean, this is crazy. What are you doing? But if you, but you love it and you quit, you will regret that decision. You will look back in a couple of months or a couple of years or a couple of decades and look back and say, oh, well, I wish I just kept going. Like I could be mm. somewhere now if I just kept doing that thing. So it's a heart question. Do you love it? You can have, this is where like lists of pros and cons don't work. You can have a million lists on, on for pros and one con, right? But you just, you love it. So, so you're going to say no to it, right? Mm-hmm. Or you're going to say no to the, the, the pros. Like, the, the list of why or why not doesn't matter. It's the heart. What do you feel? So how do you make, how do you get through it? Because then you look at your skill level and say, well, I, I, well, I suck. Like it's not working. Well, I expect to suck, right? Mm-hmm. Like we expect to suck at the beginning. Don't expect to be great. You might start a podcast. You're not going to be Joe Rogan out of the gate. And I think also people will look at Joe Rogan and say, well, I don't, I, I don't think I'm going to be Joe Rogan. If Joe Rogan's like a, a, an A plus, I'm at least going to be like a B because I'm pretty good at conversations and I think I can hold my own, but then you record it and you realize you're not even a B you're, you're like a D minus you listen to it back and it's so terrible. You can't believe that you made something so bad. Right. Right. <laughs> so, but just expect that that's the problem. If you think you're going to be a B and you come out a D minus, then it's a big, you're going to quit. But if you expect to be an F and you come out a D minus, you're like, Hey, I'm, uh, that's better. That's not too bad. And then you keep going. Um, and then the other thing that really helped me was I always focus on who I was serving instead of who I wasn't. So especially in a social media game, there's always a where like, where am I going to go next? Uh, you know, I'm at, I don't know how many, how many subscribers I am, but 3 million subscribers. Well, why am 2. I not 2. at five? Yeah. Why, why am I not at, why am I not at 10? Why am I not at 20? You know, it's like the, the game of more never ends. I never thought of it that way. Maybe because at the beginning YouTube wasn't there were no influencers and you, a youtuber wasn't a thing um but i was always just grateful for whoever was listening and paying attention so whether a million people listen to this episode or four people listen to this episode like i'm grateful to be here and spend this time with you and for the people who are paying attention and if you focus on the people who you are serving one it's so much more fulfilling because you feel like you're doing work that matters because you get to you know, see the stories of the people who have been inspired by the work that you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and two, they take you to the other people. Like if people love what you're doing, they tell other people and the, and, and the word spreads. But if you're constantly living in the, well, I didn't get this, like how many times have you hit a goal and then you're not happy? You know, it's like, Hey, right. hit the goal. I was like, Oh, well now what? Cause the goal is not the thing. It's the process. Like you have to love the process of doing it. And if you can tie it to service that, that today is going to matter, that this episode is going to matter, that this post on Instagram is going to matter, mean something to at least one person, at least for me, that gave me the drive to, to keep going and keep making. Cause it felt like what I did matters. 
Yeah, no, I totally agree. And this kind of goes back to this idea of auditing what it is that you're surrounded by, particularly online, because a hundred years ago, your environment was all in person, right? And the people that, you know, whether it was a classmate or whether it was a work coworker or just someone you ran in the street, you could always avoid those people. Those, that's very easy. You just go home and that's it. But in the world of social media, that's just exponentially grown where you view three pieces of content from a particular channel. You're just going to be recommended that channel. You're going to be recommended similar channels to that. And oftentimes this is why we get into this bubble. So the idea of auditing, you know, I was watching your videos today, um, sorry, yesterday. And then today I was, rec- you know, recommended uh, a video about Oprah and a video about Elon Musk. Like you can either get into an incredibly positive cycle using the power of social media, or you could go into a completely different hole, like in a completely different side into the rabbit hole of things that you may not be serving you. I think that's why, you know, that's idea of auditing today is so, so important. Um, I want to go back to kind of your journey and you talk a lot about being an introvert and, you know, speaking in front of people now, which is what you do now. And also, uh, also presenting yourself to over 3.2 million subscribers as you're speaking on video, uh, not an easy task as, as an introvert, right? And obviously you've had years and years of practice at this point. Talk to me a little bit about, you know, people debate this idea of like doubling down on your strengths or trying to fix your weaknesses, you know, as you were coming up, building your channel, building relationships, um, how did you approach that side of building the skill sets that you have, doubling down your strengths or trying to fix your weaknesses? Yeah. So I'm a fan of, of doubling down on the strengths. I just don't look at it as in terms in strengths into the skills. Cause I think almost anything is learnable. It's more doubling down on the person who you want to be. So for context, you know, I'm, I'm an introvert. I'm shy. I, um, I still get nervous before making videos, before stepping on stage. I just want it to be the best that I've done. And at the same time, I realized, well, I want to serve. Like I want to help. Like the best Evan is out there serving and helping and, and trying to spread the message and sharing my story. I used to think it was really egotistical to share your story. Like who cares about my story? I'm telling Oprah Winfrey's story and Elon Musk. like, who cares about Evan Carmichael? It's like, sure. I sold the company, but it's nothing. It's nowhere close to what other people have done. So it feels so selfish to share my story. Um, and I used to get into a huge fight with my agent all the time for years, Steve and I would fight and he's this hardcore New Yorker, fast talking salesman kind of guys like Evan, your problem is you don't want to be famous. Like, yes, exactly. <laughs> you get, well, why is that? A, I don't want to be famous. I have no need to be in the spotlight. Like, yeah, but you have to be famous. Like, why do I have to be famous? This makes no sense. And it took years of fighting until it finally sunk in that the more people know you, the more people will hear the message. Mm. Ah, <laughs> that's what Steve's been trying to say for three years, yelling at me. Um, Okay, well, that makes sense. And so that, that I don't, just the way he said it in that one moment kind of flicked the switch for me is that, hey, I actually need to get out there. I need to make more content. I need to make, I need to go and do speeches. I don't like the, I don't, 
I don't particularly enjoy like the speaking part as much as I do the after. Like I'll speak and then I'll spend six hours in the lobby talking to people. That's mm. the best part for me. But because I'm introverted, I will never go up to somebody. Like if I saw you at an event, I would never go up and then say, hey, wow, what's your, I'm Evan. What's your name? What do you do? Right. Oh, you have a podcast. Awesome. Um, so by speaking, what it does is gives permission for people to know who I am. So they come up and, and talk to me. So after my speech, I like trying to speak first if I can at an event, because I'll stick around. I don't just fly in and fly out. I'll try to stay for the whole event and then just hang out in the lobby. And then people who will see me speak will come up and ask me questions and be able to, I'll be able to help them. And I'll often say in my speech, like, I will be here for the whole event. Please come ask me questions. I'm introverted. I'm shy. I will likely never come up and talk to you, but I desperately want to help. So if you come and find me, I'm happy to have a conversation. So I see that as doubling down on my, on my strengths. <laughs> um, because it's, it's what I, I want to, I want to serve. I want to help. I care. Um, and that's just the next evolution of it. But I need, I need to remind myself of that every time I step on stage that, this isn't about me. I'm here to try to serve and try to help the people who are here. Yeah. I mean, what you just said there was incredibly powerful because it's almost the, the, the end, you have a North star of what you're trying to accomplish. And it's no different than someone trying to get a six pack. Like you're not going to like going to the gym and the struggles of lifting the, the, the weight while you're doing it but it's just something that you have to do in order to get to the result that you have. And for you, like that, 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 that light bulb of needing to step outside of yourself, I think is so powerful because we're so in our own heads of feeling self-conscious or thinking about what other people might think, or just being too much in our own heads where we kind of lose what the end result is for, like, what, what are we all doing this for? And it's, it seems like for you, just it, what the end was is that the purpose of serving people was greater than the pain of, uh, or not necessarily the pain, but the difficulties of getting over the nervousness of, of being able to speak. It just, you just got to find a North star that's powerful enough to go through all of the, um, the difficulties or the stuff that you have to go through to get to the North star. Yeah. And again, we all want to feel like we're doing something that matters. You know, I think if you woke up and you felt like today mattered and that you're going to do something that would not everybody needs to have a giant mission to go change the world. Probably the people listening to this show who follow you are ambitious. They want to do something big, but that doesn't mean everybody in the world needs to, but everybody in the world does want to feel like they matter. They mean something to somebody and that by them showing up, it's going to have an impact somewhere. Uh, and if you do that, you'll be a lot more positive and happy and energetic. And I also think live longer. Um, and, and if you don't, if you feel like today doesn't matter, nobody cares if I show up or not, uh, it's useless. That's the path down to depression, anxiety, suicide, and all the other problems that, um, that we're facing. So it's just really trying to inject meaning into your life, but meaning for yourself isn't enough. Like the Lamborghini on the wall isn't, it's not enough. Like driving the Lamborghini is not going to be enough. You need to feel like you're contributing somehow to other people's lives as well. Yeah. 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 I totally agree. I mean, my, my brother just had uh, his little daughter uh, a year ago and I can even just tell this is just a personal thing. I've always like felt that, but just to see him 
having this deeper purpose of knowing that he's not serving for himself. It, it is, it's just so powerful, right? Cause it, the amount of work and the pain and the struggles that you go through uh, when it's not just about yourself is, is, is really infinite. So um, yeah, I, I really love the way you put that. Evan, I, I, um, I want to close it off. We always try to lead the, uh, the end of the interview with one small actionable step that the user can take. Um, obviously first I want to share that everyone should go check out for the fair few people that have not already subscribed to your channel on YouTube, uh, highly, highly recommend it. This all goes back to our conversation about which side of, you know, the, the, the types of content and the environment that you want to be around. I, that's definitely one decision that you can make today. So I'll just speak for your behalf there. Um, you've also got multiple, multiple books. Uh, what's like one, one, what's, what's the most recent one that you want people to check out there? Uh, built to serve is the most recent one. See it in the background there. Talked about. <laughs> oh yeah. There you go. It's on, it's yeah, on the desk go. behind yeah. me for the yeah. other listeners. Yeah. Listen, I think the most actionable step is the thing that's on your heart that doesn't make logical sense to do something about it today, because you have a list of all the reasons why that thing won't work out. And you're stuck procrastinating and overthinking and over planning and over preparing. Everybody's got something. Like you're listening to this, you got something that is on your heart that you really wish you could do, but you're getting in your own way because you're afraid and you're overthinking. Take one small step towards making that thing happen today. Expect to suck and keep going. That's the biggest thing you can do after this podcast. Powerful. There you go. Evan, thanks so much for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. Much love, Sean. Thanks for having me, man. Thanks, guys. Thanks for making it all the way to the end of the show. Hope you really enjoyed our guest today and that you took one thing valuable from our conversation. If you haven't already, I would love it if you could leave a quick rating or review on whichever network you're listening to the show and share this episode with one friend if you found it valuable. And if it's something that a friend, a family member, or just someone that you care about could find a little bit of insight from what you learned today. All right. Ciao.